want to start today by sharing with you a story, and this is a true story. I didn't write it, right? It's a true story. And it frames up what I was talking about last week and a little bit about the message today. So here we go. A long time ago, there was a king who had a servant that was like his right-hand man. Now, this servant was annoyingly positive. You know what I'm talking about there. No matter what happened, he would always say, this is good. This is good. Something bad would happen, and he would say, this is good. Something great would happen, and he would say, this, this is good. One day, the king was out hunting with his servant and found something he was going to shoot. So he took the gun from his servant, who had also loaded it, and he aimed it at his target, and he pulled the trigger. Unfortunately, the gun misfired and blew the king's thumb clean off. Enraged, the king yelled at his servant, what is wrong with you? And the servant replied, this is good. The king said, this is not good. I blew my thumb off. This is not good. The king was so angry that he had his servant thrown into prison. And a year later, the king went hunting again. While hunting, he came across a tribe of cannibals who captured him and took him back to their village. As they prepared to eat him, I know this is a little uh, risky here. <laughs> I weighed that one. As they prepared to eat him, they noticed the king only had one thumb. This group was very superstitious, and they only ate things that were whole. So they let the king go. The king went straight back to his palace, right to the dungeon where, <clears throat> excuse me, he locked up the servant. When he saw his servant, he explained what happened, and he said, I am so sorry that I had you in prison. Please forgive me. And the servant looked at the king, and he said, this is good. Confused by this, the king said, what is wrong with you? I just had you locked up for a year. How can you possibly say that this is good? And the servant replied, well, if I had not been here, I would have been with you. There you go. This, this is good. Okay, that's not a true story, all right? <laughs> but uh, I wanted you to feel that when we were, when we were there. Okay, so <laughs> can it make the next service? Can we get a vote? Yeah. All right, all right, we'll see. It'll wake some up. All right, the la last week we studied verse one to four, and we're talking about, or James is talking about, how our trials can have purpose in our lives if we give them to Jesus. So he uses difficulty to develop us. And the Bible also talks about how we can have a joyful attitude because we know what God is doing in the midst of our trials, that he's giving us endurance. And endurance is causing us to reach our full potential in Christ, complete maturity. So the verses that we're studying today give us insight in addition to what we've already learned. In fact, it's really part of the context, and I could have just put it into our last message, but I didn't have enough time. And so with that said, I'm going to read verse 2 to verse 8 uh, so that we can contextualize what we're looking at today. Here's what it says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Here's the verses that we're studying. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he would receive anything 
from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today. Two things I want to talk to you about um, and a bunch of stuff in the middle, but really what we're looking at today is the fact that we need to receive wisdom, and the second thing is we need to resist doubt. That's what I believe you find here, receiving wisdom and resisting doubt. So let's look at the first point. We need to receive wisdom. I'll remind you, verse five says, if any of you lack wisdom, and let's put that in context. He's talking about the trials that we face. Now we can principally use this for any moment that we need wisdom, absolutely. Context is about trials, but the principle still remains the same. We all need wisdom from God. And in this particular passage, the word lack means to be deficient, or sometimes it's used as an accounting term, and it means to come up short. It reminded me of when I was a kid. Some of you can resonate with this, but I lived down the street from 7-Eleven. Remember that store? You ever still go there? I I think they still exist. But I lived down the street from 7-Eleven and pretty much every day as a young boy, me and my friends would go down to 7-Eleven. We would find whatever change that we could, stuff it in our pocket, and we would usually buy three things. And this is the truth. The first one was candy. And this is the days where you could get a Jolly Rancher for three cents. Do you guys remember that? Now, some of you who are older than me, you're going to be like, I remember the Snickers was a nickel. Okay, well, I don't know about that. But I know about the three cent Jolly Rancher. I respect you and your history, but this is is my story. You remember those six lets? Yeah, that was like three, five cents. I loved it. So you could go get pennies. You could find pennies in your couch, right? Inflation has been killing us. Like kids today got to work for like a whole hour and then they can go buy a candy bar and they got to work all day if they want to go see a movie. But I digress. I would get candy, and then I would get the almighty Slurpee. And then if we had enough money and we were walking instead of riding our bike, we would get the Big Gulp. And for some reason, I was thinking about this yesterday. Do you guys remember how big the Big Gulp got? Was that not insane? I mean, it was like, here's diabetes. I mean, they were just like... That's probably not funny. I'm sorry. But like, they were killing us and didn't even care. Like, that was enough for you to drink. You could share it with your family. And then you could use it to like polish your rims on your car. I mean, it was just sort of like crazy how much pop they were giving us. And now it's reduced. But whoa. All right. So yeah, we would, you know, we would, we would walk home with our big gulp. And at times, we would do this. This is how it was. We would take all the change out and we would put it up on the counter and we would let that person count it for us. Partly because we didn't want to be accountable. So you play dumb. I don't know how much I have. And they would count it out for you and like, you could keep this. And I'll get... But a lot of times you would do what? You would come up short. You wouldn't have enough to pay for what you wanted to buy. And you'd already poured the Slurpee. And so you were really hoping that this person would give you what you needed. And you know those little dishes that they have with extra pennies and nickels? I think those were created because of kids like us. (laughs) If you're one of them, say amen. But it's a terrible feeling to stand there and not know what to do because you've come up short. This is what difficulties are like. It's we face a challenge and we don't know what to do. We lack wisdom. We don't have enough. And this is what James is talking about. And when he says that you... If you need wisdom, ask for it. He's saying 
when you don't know what to do when you face the challenges of life. It's kind of like asking if any of you lacks love or if any of you lacks money. We all lack wisdom. We all lack something. This is absolutely uh, true of us. But we live in an age of information where I don't think we always feel this way. Now, if I ask you today because you're in church and you're around a lot of other people and nobody's going to shake their head and we're not just by ourselves, if I say, do you lack wisdom often, you would say yes. But I think in our mind, the way that we live in the age of information, we don't often feel this way, which I think hinders the simple thing that he's telling us to do, ask of God. It sounds so simple. Oh yeah, I know. But do you do? If you lack wisdom, ask of God. We live in an age of information and I don't think that it's made us wiser. Now, in some cases, perhaps we are a little wiser and we do know what to do. Thank you, YouTube. I'm not a plumber, but I can fix my tub, all right? Because Joe's on the other end and Joe knows how to get it done. But there's so many things that I think actually cripple us because we get more knowledge and it doesn't necessarily equal wisdom. I was thinking about young parents. Now, I'm not picking on you young parents, but I just want to to bring something up here. This was like months ago. I was listening to a little cohort of young parents talking about raising kids. And they were talking about a lot of stuff. I mean, it was like food and sleep and this. And I'll be honest with you, the longer they talked, the more I thought, I literally thought, you know, I don't think I can raise kids. I think I'm going to emotionally scar them. I think that I'm going to harm them physically because of the soaps and what's in our towels and the plastics are killing everybody. The plastics. You know, this is a thing, right? Remember like the deodorant? The deodorant's giving you cancer. I remember when that, you get the essential oils on it, you'll be fine. All right, so I'm going to emotionally scar them. I'm going to physically hurt them. And my food choices are definitely, uh, definitely going to kill them, you know? And so I was like, there's no way I can raise kids. And then it dawned on me that Bridget and I kind of already have. <laughs> and I realized there's a difference. Now, all the grace to you in the world if you're young, younger parents with younger kids, but um, all the information that you're getting these days, has it made you wiser or has it given you so many options that it's hard even to make choices or know if you're ever making the right one? And I'm, that's just a little sample and a case study for what I'm talking about. Sometimes the knowledge that we have has not made us wiser and able to just do what we need to. Perhaps that's why Solomon said in Proverbs that wisdom is worth more than silver and gold. You cannot buy it, but get it. You need it. Trials humble us and they make us aware of our need for wisdom over knowledge. And here's what James does. He tells us how to get it. If you need wisdom, he says, here's how you get it. I love that. Number one, he says, you must ask God for wisdom. He said, if you lack it, ask God for for it. And in chapter three, he gets even more simple. He says, you have not because you, yes, you guys have read this. I want to explore this a little bit, this little simple advice that he gives to us. When you face challenges, is it your normal reaction to pray and ask God for help? Or do you go to sources of information? That's a good question. When you get sick, do you pray? Now I'm not suggesting that we don't Welcome medical advice. I'm not saying that you shouldn't call Dr. Dan, because you should. Everybody should get his phone number in the church. (laughs) 
and Nurse Roseanne in case he's busy. I think it's important, but I believe that this simple advice is probably not adhered to often enough. And as much as it is, this is why I told you, you can read James and you can just blow right past it because it's in the simple advice that we have to pause and say, do I really do what he's saying? Do I really ask God for wisdom? Do I really ask God for wisdom in my relationships, in my parenting, in my marriage, in my health? Do I ask God for wisdom? Is that what I'm doing? Or am I only going to the information that is available to me? And perhaps if that's all that we're doing, maybe this advice is profound. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. Not only does he say, ask God, but he tells us God's disposition towards us when we ask. He says two things, that God is generous. He has all the wisdom in the world and he doesn't wanna keep it to himself. He wants to share it with us. God's generous. He doesn't hold back on us. The second thing he says is he gives without reproach. Now, We don't use that word probably, other translations help us, but basically what he means by that is God does not rebuke us or look down on us when we come to him and ask. He doesn't patronize us. It's not like, well, hey, dummy, it's about time. God doesn't talk to us like, now other people might talk to us like that. You're like, I resonated with that, I did. God doesn't speak down to us. He welcomes us in the coming. Basically, he's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're asking and I wanna share with you what you need. So this is God's disposition towards us. He wants us to ask and he wants to give us wisdom. It reminds me of the story of King Solomon, which is found in 1 Kings. Solomon was the son of King David and he became the king of Israel around 20 years old. Can you imagine? 20 years old. And God comes to Solomon in a dream in 1 Kings chapter 3. And he says to him in the dream, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Wow. Anything that you want, I will give it to you. And do you remember what Solomon says to him? Two times later on, it says that he asked for wisdom, but here's his actual statement to God when God says, ask me. He says, I am a little child. I'm young and I'm unlearned and I don't know what to do. So give me a discerning heart and the ability to judge righteously among your people. In other words, God, you gave me a task to minister to people and I'm young and I don't know what to do. Man, that is not always the statement of a young person. It certainly wasn't mine. (laughs) I was a young person who says, I'm young and I know what to do better than you. And I have been humbled. Amen. Because that's what information has done to us in this generation. It has made us think that we do know what to do. See, knowledge is not wisdom. You can have information and still not really know what to do. And your life can prove that. But Solomon asked for wisdom and God was really proud of Solomon for asking that. And he said, not only am I gonna give you wisdom, but I'm gonna give you all the silver and gold and you're gonna be renowned in your generation because you asked for the best thing. And so it says in 1 Kings 4.29, now God gave Solomon wisdom, very great discernment, breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Wow. God gave all of this to him far beyond what he could ask, think, hope, or imagine. And the question that I was thinking about, was Solomon the wisest person, I mean, outside of Jesus, the wisest person that ever lived, or was he the most humble? 
See, it wasn't his wisdom. It wasn't that God just gave him a great brain. It wasn't, it wasn't that God just gave him great skill. It was that this man at 20 years old knew what to ask for, and he was humble enough to simply come to God and say, would you give me wisdom? And God gave it to him. He was humble because I believe that it takes humility for us to come under God and say, I need what you have. I don't know what I'm doing. But here's the question that we have today. When we ask God for wisdom, how does God give us wisdom? It's a great question. When we ask God, that's prayer. When we pray and we ask God for wisdom, how does God give it to us? Well, the first way, of course, is scripture. Psalm 19, seven, look at this. The law of the Lord. This, of course, is the old covenant, the Hebrew Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes or the commands of the Lord are trustworthy. Now look at this. They make wise the simple. They make wise the simple. They help people that don't know what to do, know what to do. You ever felt like you're simple? You still feel that way? <laughs> like I, I always say this, but I do. I feel like an average person, right? I drive down the road and I see a sign that says dip and I take offense at it. I really do. I get up. <laughs> it's just my life. And so most of us are simple, and this is what the Bible says. If you know God's word, it will make you wise. And the New Testament even says wise unto salvation. It gives us what we need to know for what we need to do. It's not just a book of information. It's not just truth, or it's not just good ideas for modern times. It's God's eternal truth. So if we reduce scripture to knowledge, it's a profound misunderstanding of what scripture actually is. We don't read this book to prove that we're great Christians. We don't read this book to check a box and kind of have some knowledge about morality. The, the Bible is a book of wisdom. The Bible is a book of truth. Like it says that the grass will fade and the flower will fade, the grass will wither, but the word of God stands forever. It's eternal. It's, it's eternal. It's unchanging, right? Generations change, mindsets change, ideas theologies change, but the word of God does not change. And what it does is it gives us wisdom. And in every generation, this is what God wants. But here's the truth. In addition to scripture, which is our foundation, the Holy Spirit also will give us specific or circumstantial wisdom. Doesn't contradict the Bible. If it does, it's not God. But we get wisdom through the voice of the Holy Spirit. We also get wisdom from the community of godly people. That's why it's really important to be in community, not just attend church, but actually be in relationship with other believers where we're inviting other voices into our life. Because if we just leave it up to us and the Bible in the closet, we're gonna get a little batty, a little strange. <laughs> you can read some early church fathers. I won't go into the desert fathers, but I think some of them exhausted God. I really do. I'm just like, wow, that's, that's a lot. So we really do need a community. We need people that, really do have spiritual checks and balances. So we receive wisdom from scripture. Number one, first and foremost place, it's eternal truth. On that foundation and within that context, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. If you're ever in a situation and you don't know what to do, let's say you're parenting or maybe in your marriage or with a relationship that you have with someone else and there's tension. Friends, this is what James says. If you lack wisdom and you have tension and there's turmoil and you don't know what to do, pause, stop and ask God, would you give me wisdom? And here's what you need to know. You've got to realize that God will give it to you. That's what he is. He's generous and without reproach, but you have to have an expectation that God will give it to you, perhaps in a way that you're not looking for. This is why we have to have ears that hear. 
We have to be available in conversations that we're a part of because what if God chooses to drop the wisdom that we need on us in a conversation that we're not listening to? Everybody say, ouch. God, speak to me. And we're not listening to anybody or anything. And we're so mad at our spouse, we can't listen to anything that they have to say. But what if the wisdom that God has for you is packed inside that person that you're most angry with? Okay, I'll step back a little bit here. I'm not sure. (laughs) But what if the package that God gives us wisdom actually requires the greatest humility? I mean, I want to tell you, like, you can just click download. I would love to tell you that's what's going to happen. And here's the truth is, guys, you can open the word and you can look for it yourself. And sometimes, principally, you're going to be able to find it. But I will tell you also is is that God, it's it's, it's not just like popcorn wisdom. Like, oh, let's let's see, what's the wisdom of God? Oh, there it is. Uh, Okay. You know, that's, you have to have a regular diet of God's word. You know what I'm saying? Like, I journal for that reason because things come up that I need will need or needed, and I recognize that's God speaking to me. So it's building a framework for understanding how wisdom actually comes to us. James chapter three, he tells us there are two kinds of wisdom. Now we're not there yet, but I thought this was an interesting point. He says that there's wisdom from heaven, and then there's wisdom that is earthly, natural, and demonic. So wisdom, we can't just attach it to To God, there's godly wisdom, there's biblical wisdom, there's heavenly wisdom, but then there's wisdom of this world. And I was reading this passage and I thought it was really interesting, so I thought I'd bring it to you. I came across the verse where Satan was tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. We know God gave Adam a command. Adam gave that to Eve. They understood not to eat from this tree. Somehow she's standing in front of the tree in Genesis chapter three and the enemy comes to seduce her, to trick her to deceive her. And here's what it says in verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit, this is of the forbidden fruit, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And also look at this, desirable for gaining wisdom. Was that God's wisdom? No, that was wisdom of this earth. Desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband as well, who was with her and he ate it. Now, I want to talk a lot about that with the responsibility of men, but I don't have time. I I just, uh, because it's a very important passage there. It says that as the enemy spoke to her, the longer that he spoke to her, she saw something in the fruit that she had never seen before. It was pleasing to the eyes. And then it caused her to think, I'm going to gain wisdom from eating this. It was not the wisdom that she needed. That's what it's like to listen to ungodly counsel. We gain a wisdom that sounds right to our ears, but it's really good to our flesh. It's not from God. It's comfortable, it's convenient, it feels good, but it will destroy us. The enemy's behind all of that. Why why would I bring that up to you? Because this is why. When we ask God for wisdom, we need to understand how we receive it. We need to go to the right sources and realize the enemy is also seeking to deceive us with another type of wisdom that's not from God. And we need to be aware of that. The second thing James says when we're asking for wisdom is we must ask God in faith. Basically, he's saying asking is not enough. He goes on to say that the way that you ask is just as important. When you ask God for wisdom, you need to ask him without any doubting. Everybody say any That Greek word is there and it means any. It means all. It's very important word without any doubting. We ask in faith without 
doubting. We're persuaded, we're convinced that God will give us what we were asking for. I wanna wanna push you here. When we ask God for wisdom, to know what to do, we have to be convinced to our very core that God's going to give it. That's what James says. And you say, well, Ben, how do you get there? This is how you get there. The way that we get there is we know that what it says in the Bible is true. It's a choice. I'm not saying that you're not gonna have doubts. I'll talk to you about that in a second. But I'm saying we have to make a choice. I believe that God said he's gonna give wisdom and therefore I choose to be persuaded and convinced and convicted that that is what's gonna happen. Therefore, my expectation is set and I am on the lookout in my Bible time, in my prayer time, when I'm talking to believers and I'm asking for help, I am aware and I'm expectant that God's gonna give that to me. I have chosen, I have decided, and I'm asking God to lock me in to that position. You know why? Because doubting is knocking at the door all the time in our life, and it is not our friend. I know today we celebrated, hey, everybody's a doubter, everybody's doubt. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyways, all right, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, something similar is said here. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, this is prayer, he who comes to God must believe that he is that he exists and that he is who he says he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him, that God answers prayer. To come to God, we have to do it by faith. This is what pleases him. I believe that you are who you say you are and I believe that you reward those who seek you and I'm asking and I'm coming and I believe that this is what you're going to do because your word says so. Now, if we don't have a clear Bible verse, you're on a little shaky ground there. We're talking about God's will here, not what we want. That's why we know if you ask for a Ferrari, if we want to, you come up today and you say, Pastor Ben, I want to come into agreement for God's Ferrari for my life. I saw it on social media. I thought this is what the Lord wants for me, not just for the wicked, but for the righteous. First of all, I'm not going to agree with you for that. Number one. Number two is I doubt that you can really ask in faith because you're not convinced that's God's will. You may want a Ferrari, but you're not convinced that that's what the Bible tells you. Now, God help us if you're persuaded of a type of theology where you think that's God's will for you and we uh, can help reorient you theologically if that's what you need. Because God might give you a 1976 Chevy and that's fine if it gets you to work. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, all right. But we pray in faith. We believe God's word. We believe his truth. We believe God no matter what, that God will provide, that God will give an answer, that God will give wisdom. We believe God no matter when. You know, Jesus in Mark chapter 11 teaches something that I think is difficult for us. He teaches that we are to believe God in prayer that he has already given it to us as we ask him. Isn't that a very strange thing to say? And the word of faith teaching gets this really, really wrong. I have a teaching about it. You should, you should, check, you should check it out. But he says that you should thank God. You believe that you already have what you've asked for. That's kind of a funny thing. I'm asking and we think I'm not really sure if I'm gonna get it. The only reason that we have uncertainty is if we're not sure if it's God's will. But when you know it's God's will and the Bible promises, friends, it says, James says, be sure. 
You ask without doubting. That's exactly what he says. But the only way you're sure is if it's in here and it's clear. That's how it happens. Now, let me just prove it to you. I've given you this illustration before, but some of you are newer to the church and, uh, and you will not have heard it. And the rest of you probably will not remember it. So here it goes. How many of you shop on Amazon? Okay. Probably all of us. All right, anyway, anyway. I bought this week protein bars because I'm fasting and I was like, I need more protein bars. So that's what I bought this week. I bought a box of protein bars. They'll be on my door probably today. Just, just, just a guess, just a random guess that those protein bars, even on Sunday, the Amazon people are still at work. Amen? That's just happening. All right? That's just, that's, that Chick-fil-A hasn't gotten there, but, we, but the Amazon's still, still there. So I, I, li- I, li- I like Amazon so much. I go on, I buy so much stuff <clears throat> online. I go online type in what I want. I add it to the cart. I pay. It's already got all my information in there. I hit purchase. And then I go live my life. And there is hardly a second in my day that I doubt that thing is on the way. I know that it's in route. Those protein bars are on the way and they're going to show up. And when they show up, guess what? I'm not going to be surprised. You know why? Because I purchased that. And I believe that it's coming. I wonder if sometimes we have more faith in Amazon's ability to deliver. Yes. I wonder if we have more faith in Amazon's ability to deliver a product to our door than God's ability to answer prayer. Come on. What am I talking about today? We live like this in the natural world, but spiritually, the Bible says God will answer if it's according to his will. First John chapter five. And yet we say, oh, I'm not sure. Get sure. And then pray that thing in and hold on and believe it's God, if it's him. This is the kind of prayer that that James is is talking about. But doubt is a problem. So with a few minutes, I want to talk to you about our need to resist doubt. Look what he says in verse 6. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, it's important to capture what James means by doubt. First, he is not saying we won't have doubts. Everyone will experience doubt in their life. I say it to you this way. Doubt is an experience. Unbelief is a practice. Doubt is something that everybody experiences, but unbelief is a practice. It is a choice to meditate on and be consumed by the doubts that come into our mind. Everybody will have doubts, but you and I have a choice. Am I going to believe God or am I going to doubt God? That's the choice that we make. He's not saying that we won't be uncertain at times about God's will. Because if the Bible doesn't clearly specify, if you have a choice that you have to make, you got two jobs in front of you, job A, job B, Bible doesn't say choose B, doesn't say that. And so you and I aren't sure. So sometimes our doubt is not doubting God. It's that we're not sure what the best path is. And so as we pray, it might take time for us to feel the right peace and sense the direction that we need to go in. That's, that's an issue of patience. So that uncertainty will certainly be there, but we can't meditate on doubt in a way where it starts to eat at our faith. And here's what doubting is. Doubting is to stay uncertain, undecided, distrusting, and even suspicious at God's word or his commitment to us in fulfilling what we're asking for. 
We all have doubts. We cannot meditate on it. We cannot cultivate it. We need to resist it. We need to discard it. We need to move beyond it. And we do that by believing God's word. We are a believing people. But I want to tell you two things that doubts will do if we allow them. Number one, allowing doubt will confuse us. James uses the metaphor. He actually compares the doubting believer to the waves of the sea, up and down, left and right. That's the kind of relationship that we have with God in prayer. And it's no wonder why some people just give up in prayer because that's how they feel that their prayer life is, is like. Rather than digging in and getting more sure about what they're asking for, what we do sometimes is we actually back off because we've had this very up and down relationship with God. Doubting can actually produce that. But I was thinking about Jesus and the disciples. You remember Matthew chapter 14? This is where Jesus sends his disciples into a storm in the Sea of Galilee. And then he walks out there at night. I've preached on this a couple times. He walks out there, gets close enough for the disciples to see. And Peter looks at him. And here's what it says, verse 28. He says, Lord, if it is actually you, command me to come to you on the water. Because he sees Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus says, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came forward to Jesus. But seeing the wind... He became frightened and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him and he said to him, you of little faith, what's to say? Why did you, yeah, why did you doubt? They're in a storm. Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, can I come out? Jesus says, yep. Peter steps out of the boat, starts walking. And then verse 30, seeing the wind, he looked at the wind and he got afraid. Now, a lot of people preach, when you take your eyes off Jesus, <laughs> the storm's gonna take. And you know what? It sounds cool. It's true though. It's true. You know why? We get confused. Peter got confused because when you start to believe Jesus, the storms don't die down. That's what we want to happen, isn't it? I start to believe Jesus. Okay, I finally believe Jesus. It's 2024, it's a new year, it's a new me. I'm believing Jesus. And we think now that I'm locked in, the storm or the difficulty or the trouble is going to die down. And all of a sudden it gets a little more, it gets a little heavier. And we're like, that's not supposed to happen. Actually, yes, that's what happens. That's, that's normal. And so we look at the problem and we're like, the problem seems to kind of get worse. It's swelling and we doubt and we stop looking at Jesus. Doubt causes us to stay in the middle and get confused. Do we believe the promises of Jesus or do we believe the problem is just simply gonna overtake us? What are, what are we gonna believe? Is he gonna give me wisdom? Is he gonna give me provision? Is he gonna respond to me? Is he gonna answer my prayer? Or is this going to overtake me? Doubt keeps us in the middle and it confuses us and we stay confused, indecisive, wavering. We allow doubt to remain. It confuses and cripples us. But the second thing it does is it controls us. Doubt confuses and it controls. Look at this, verse seven and eight. For the person that doubts, they ought to not expect that they will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all their ways. I looked at this and thought, whoa, a doubting heart should not and will not receive anything, namely wisdom. They will not. When we stay in the middle as to whether or not God's going to answer us when we're asking, you shouldn't expect to receive. You have to get on over, over on this side and say, I believe you're gonna answer my prayer. 
You say, well, Ben, that's hard. Start with prayer. <laughs> Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where we start. See, if, you, if you're hearing me and you're like, that's easier said than done, you're missing the point. You are, you are missing the point and you're probably, some of us, we let religious guilt and past failures tell us nothing's going to change. You've got to let that go. This is what James tells us, that you and I have to ask in faith and not doubt. And we can do that. And whatever our past was, okay, that's what it was. Whatever our past experience was, that's what it was. But James doesn't even allow for that. He says, I want you to get into a place of faith because if you don't, then you're gonna be like the sea. If you give yourself over to anything but just believing God, this is what's gonna happen to you. And it will affect the rest of your life. It won't just affect your asking for wisdom. It will make you unstable in all of your ways. Not only will it be wisdom, but I think it will actually stop us from getting baptized in water. I think it'll stop us from taking steps of discipleship. I think it'll stop us from reconciling relationships. I think it will stop us from taking any steps that we need to take. Think about all of the, t the tension and the turmoil that we have in life with the things that we need to do, the, the places we need to go, the relationships that we have. And we can blame other people. Friends, it's easy. It's their fault and I'm gonna wait for them to do it. But that's not what James says. James says, if you're in a trial, if you have trouble, if you have difficulty, he does not say, wait for them to get it together. He says, you ask wisdom for your part because you're responsible for your part. And when you ask, believe that God will give it to you and stop complaining and pointing the finger at other people because that is unproductive and unfruitful. It is about me and God and God has an answer for me. And we've got to stop thinking that he doesn't because he does. He's got a call for me. He has a destiny for me. He has something that I'm supposed to do to glorify him. And I got to stop making excuses for what I don't know and what I don't have and what other people are doing when God promises, I will give you what you need. It's a faith issue. That's all that it is. And we sophisticate it and we excuse it. And I'm not trying to push you that hard today, but that's what humans do. It's the human experience. And we've just got to stop doing that. You say, well, Ben, why are you getting all passionate about this right now? Because doubt kills so many Christians. They celebrate it today. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard. Everybody doubts and doubting Thomas and this. Yes, everybody doubts. But the other side of that is you've got to put it under your feet because it doesn't help you. You'll experience it. You'll have questions. Sometimes you'll be uncertain. But what you do with doubt is just as important as when you approach God and ask him for help. Because doubt is not our friend. Yes, some healthy skepticism is good at times, asking quite all that, but I'm talking about doubt, being a waverer, somebody that's undecided and we stay crippled and can't make decisions and move forward. So many times we just stay where we are because we just keep letting our doubt eat at our faith. And I wanna encourage you to make a decision to resist the doubt and let go of it and grab a hold of faith. Be that person. Others can criticize you. Oh, you're just blind faith and you don't ask enough questions. Fine, Jesus never rebuked people with too much faith. I don't see it. He says, why did you doubt? That's what he said. So we're not putting enough emphasis on this because we're afraid. We you know, the word of faith movement has killed us. All right, I get it. But we, we, we've, we've got to just look at the scriptures. That, that, that's what I'm going after today. Okay, recap. Amen. I, I've already went over time. I can't believe it. What happened to the time? Lori, what did you do to the time? Who's messing with the clock? 
When we go through things, God wants us to know what to do. You and I wanna know what to do, but God wants us to know what to do. And the promise is I'll give you wisdom. This means we have no excuses. We have to come to him in faith and God will give us the answer. We ask him, we believe he will answer. We resist the doubt. We resist confusion. We don't let it control us. And I wanna appeal to anybody today where you feel that way in your life. This isn't about shame. This is just simply if you feel the conflict and the confusion in your life, whether that's a relational, con any trouble, turmoil, or difficulty, I want to appeal to you today that your enemy is doubt. Your enemy is doubt, and God has an answer for you and me. Not just now, but in every circumstance of life. He's enough. He'll always be enough. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Pray with me, especially if you need God's answer today. Put your hands out before the Lord. Let's receive wisdom from God, real answers for our real problems. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for your people. God, we admit today we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom. We need your word. We need the truth. We ask that you would help us. God, I thank you for the letter of James and how clear it is. It doesn't let us out of anything, but it promises what you are like and it shows us that you will answer our prayer. And so I pray for us today that if we're stuck or suffering or struggling or anything that has come upon us in this season, first of all, we say what the word says, that you will give us wisdom, but you tell us to ask. So we ask, give us wisdom. Help us to know what to do. Help us to know how to navigate this thing and give us faith and courage to move forward and not retreat. We receive that today. Help us to have the right expectations in the life that we live to receive from you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, come on, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you wanna get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.